Well, hello and welcome to Rare Nautical Reads with me, Chris Stanwell Major. In this episode, we're continuing Strange But True, The Life and Adventures of Captain Thomas Crapo and Wife, published in New Bedford in 1893. We're on part seven, and we're continuing chapter four. We then cast off our lines and hoisted our sails amid cheers from the crowd assembled on the wharf. The wind was from the southward and westward and was blowing quite fresh. Handkerchiefs and hats continued to wave nearly as long as we could see the wharf. Quite a fleet of vessels were at anchor in the harbour, the crews of which also cheered us lustily as we passed them. We headed direct towards Chatham on Cape Cod by crossing Vineyard Sound close in towards the north shore. We had comparatively calm water. Our colours flying informed the people on shore who we were, and those that did see us cheered as we passed them by. Our leg of mutton sails were no doubt a strange sight to many, as none of that make are used around here or there, but they are used extensively by the inhabitants of islands in mid-ocean, as they hold the wind below instead of aloft, therefore they are considered far safer. The report of our coming seemed to have preceded us, as on our arrival about four o'clock in the afternoon, we were met by a multitude of people. When running in, we struck several times on sandbars, but did not do any damage to our boat. As we stepped on shore, we were surrounded by a large number of inquiring people that asked all manner of questions relative to our intended trip across the Atlantic. We could only answer them civilly, and Captain Darius Hammond extended an invitation to us make his home hours during our stay, which must be short at best, as we were anxious to be on our way. We accepted this kind invitation in the same spirit as it was tendered, and then proceeded to his home, but a short distance away. The next morning, the captain and myself went around to find a carpenter, as I wanted to make a few alterations to my boat. The two scuttles which I spoke of in the first part of this adventure were cut out 18 by 24 inches, and the top was rather too low to suit us, as we wanted them somewhat higher and fitted so they would slide. We were at last fortunate in finding a man that could do it at once, so he set to work and put combings around each and fitted them as we wanted them. After this was completed, I also had 200 pounds of iron put in for ballast, as what we had was not sufficient to keep her steady. After this was completed, I had a painter to paint her a good thick coat, to make her watertight, if possible, as I did not care about having too much water inside, as we did not have any room for it, and it was not to our liking, as there would be plenty all around us in case we needed it for anything. Repairs and painting were finished on the 1st of June, and the next day, June the 2nd, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we hove up our anchor, and as we would have to proceed through a very narrow passage, a man volunteered to tow us out with his dory. The crowd on shore gave three rousing cheers as we started, and hats and handkerchiefs were waving all along the shore. We carried from there two letters that were handed to us by a Captain Taylor, whose son was in Liverpool, England, who requested me to mail them as soon as we landed. On arriving in deep water, our pilot left us with our thanks for his favour, and we then squared off for our destination, England. From this time until our arrival, we were to undergo what we had never dreamed of. Just imagine to yourself what it would be in pleasant weather to be several miles out of sight of land in a small boat, just for one day and night. You would think it the longest night you had ever seen. Yet here we were, 
sailing across the boundless waste of waters, all the time going farther and farther away. And whatever the weather should be, rain, thunder and lightning or a heavy gale of wind, we would have to grin and take it as it came. The thought was not very inviting, to say the least. We started on our course with a moderate south wind and a comparatively smooth sea. Land faded from our view about five o'clock, and the sun soon began to draw close to the horizon, which plainly told us that night was fast approaching. At last it sank below the surface, and darkness soon settled over us. I found it hard work to keep awake, but I knew that I must exert myself to do so. Mrs. Crapo retired early, which left me alone with nothing but water in sight. The wind was blowing about what is called a three-knot breeze, and the little boat skimmed over the surface of the water like a duck. Mrs. Crapo's apartments were not large enough for her to loose herself in when she lay down to sleep. Her feet rested on the water kegs, and should she desire to turn over, she would first have to rise. So my readers can form an idea of what limited accommodations we were subjected to, and must put up with for a considerable length of time. At last, signs of daylight appeared, and as the black pall of night was lifted, nothing but a dreary waste of water could be seen on every hand. Soon, the welcome voice of my partner, bidding me good morning, was heard which was pleasant to hear at such a time. Soon, the glorious orb of day rose in all its majestic splendour, and it was a pretty sight to see bright rays along the water, glistening and sparkling like burnished gold. We soon began preparations for our first breakfast. Mrs. Crapo put a gill of oil in our lamp stove and lighted it, preparatory to making coffee. She then unearthed our monster coffee pot, which, when full, held but a pint, and very soon the pleasant aroma of boiling coffee greeted our nostrils, and it made us hungry to think of it. My appetite was somewhat sharpened, and as soon as all was in readiness, I was ready to do justice to it by eating a good, hearty meal, and we both felt in better trim to endure whatever it was our lot to face, as nothing excels a full stomach on any occasion, especially as we were alone, and as you may say, had nothing to do but eat, drink, and sleep. Yet I had to steer the boat as straight towards our destination as possible at all times, even while eating, I kept her on her course. I wish further to inform my readers how we had to make our coffee. As the motion of the boat rendered it unsafe to leave a lighted lamp stove anywhere unattended, my wife placed it between my feet, so the motion of the boat would not have any effect upon it, as no one knows when they will explode. It would, I am sure, make a person laugh to see us preparing our meals, but it was our only source as our kitchen, pantry, sitting room, dining room and parlour were all connected, and it did not take as long to go to any part of the house. Should my wife be reading in the sitting room or parlour, I could summon her at any time by merely whispering, so we had no use for speaking tubes. After we had finished our morning meal, the utensils for preparing it were again put away, and we passed the long hours of the morning we did not expect any callers, so we did not put ourselves out in making any useless preparations, in relating little incidents connected with our attempted voyage. Thus the day wore on, and as the only reading matter we had with us was a Bible and a few tracts, we had to converse on different subjects, as the time began to hang heavy 
as the sun passed over our heads. This being the 3rd of June and about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I concluded to heave the boat to and have a short nap, as I had steered from our starting the day previous, making a total of 26 consecutive hours without rest, and tired nature began to assert her rights. So I lowered the foresail and hauled off the main sheet and then curled myself up for a snooze, and it did not take me long to pass the portals of sweet sleep, as I was very tired, as there was not much chance to move my limbs while steering. While I was sleeping, the vessel was in charge of my mate, who had proven herself to be an accomplished sailor. I slept until about eight o'clock, when I hoisted my foresail and slackened off my main sheet, and again headed for England, the land of roses, which lay about east by north from us. The weather continued to be fair, but the nights were very chilly. My mate again retired early, which left me monarch of all I surveyed, and with a good four-knot breeze, we went skimming along. The only thing to break the monotony was the noise of the boat cutting through the water. I eagerly watched for signs of daylight, as I knew that a cup of good hot coffee would not only refresh, but drive the chilly, numb feeling away. As I sat cramped all up in such a small space so long, it was a luxury to get a chance to stretch my legs and arms. At last, the morning of June 4th greeted us with a four-knot wind and water about the same as on the preceding day. On casting our eyes about, we sighted a number of fishing vessels anchored on what is called the George's Banks. We ran up to one, which proved to be the schooner A.J. Chapman of New London, Connecticut, fishing for halibut. The crew at the time were absent in the dories attending to their trawls, so the captain was the only one we saw on board. He asked us where we were bound and numerous other questions. He also coaxed us to come on board and get a cup of good hot coffee, but as we had just had some, we respectfully declined the invitation with thanks. He then proposed for us to come on board and stretch our limbs, but this we also declined, so we bade him goodbye and sailed on our course. In the afternoon, we sighted two vessels on the wind making to the southward and westward and about four miles from us. About four o'clock in the afternoon, I again hove the boat to and took another nap until eight in the evening, which made another twenty hours of steering without rest. About this time, my wife began to feel a little qualmish as the motion of the boat was considerably quicker than a large vessel, and as the boat had begun to dance considerably, it had the above-mentioned effect on her. The following was taken from a New York paper and printed in the New Bedford Standard, which was mailed to me in England. The New Bedford Fishing schooner A.J. Chapman, which arrived at New York from George's Banks, Wednesday, reports speaking to the New Bedford, June 4th, latitude 41.55, longitude 67.10. Captain Crapo and wife were well. This, however, was two or three days previous to the date the New Bedford was spoken, which was before reported. When I awoke, we again made sail, and sailed on our course, and as my wife was getting quite nervous, she remained up instead of going to bed. She kept me company until nearly daylight, when tired nature gave way and she lay down to sleep, and after a short time I hove the boat to and took a nap myself. The wind still held to the westward, and the sea was quite calm. This was on the 5th of June, our third day from Chatham. We sailed along all day without seeing anything more than gulls and porpoises, which were quite numerous, 
Again, another night closed in, and the ripple of the water against the boat was all there was to break the monotony. As Mrs. Crapo remained awake, it made the time pass more pleasantly, as the nights seemed very long. The next day, June the 6th, the sun arose in all its splendour. It was a pleasing sight to watch it rise, seemingly from out of the ocean, and saw aloft to cast its pleasant rays on land and sea. As there was no sail in sight, I again hove the boat to, and took a nap until about eight o'clock, when I again made sail and proceeded on our course. We saw a great many storm petrel, better known as Mother Carey's chickens, after we had got well under way, we decided to open the letter handed to us at Vineyard Haven, which we were to open and read at sea. We broke the seal, and on opening it, the following met our eyes. Vineyard Haven, May 29th, 1877. Brother and Sister Crapo, when you are at sea, remember you have the prayers of millions to cheer you on your perilous journey. We commend you to the God who watches over you on sea, as well as on the land. Commit your ways to him and be calm in times of danger. You go with the good wishes of many. Yours in good feeling, Lyman R. Waite, Minister. This was encouraging, indeed, to think that, away from the bustle of the busy world, alone on the broad expanse of water, many miles away from home and friends, these kind words were felt with an intense longing to shake the hands of those who would eagerly watch for reports from us from time to time. Yet, could they but realise what we must endure before reaching the goal we so eagerly sought, their anxiety would be far greater for our safety. As many, many times large vessels go to sea and are never heard from again, either burned at sea or wrecked in a gale, and for us two persons to venture in such a frail craft was what set the millions of people to wondering what the result would be. So we talked over that letter for quite a length of time, as it was a good subject for us. Thus the day passed, and night again spread her mantle over the world. We did not mind the voyage by daylight, but after night set in, it was far from pleasant, as in the daylight we could see whatever was within reach of our sight, but darkness hid everything, and it is very surprising when we realise what quantities of grampus, porpoise, blackfish, killer whales and other large monsters there are in the ocean, that we were not smashed in pieces in the night, or that none of them came up to the surface under our boat, which, as they cannot breathe under water, they come to the surface to do. Yet we are pleased to say nothing of that kind happened, and we earnestly hoped the balance of our perilous journey would be as safe for us. At last the long night passed, and daylight was upon us. After my usual nap, we again proceeded on our journey. This being the 7th of June, made it our fifth day at sea. My wife began to feel decidedly better, as she had now got used to the motion of the boat, which made it far pleasanter for both of us. Nothing appeared in sight at daylight, or when I awoke from my usual nap, and after we had partaken of our breakfast, we continued on with a four-knot breeze from the southwest. About one o'clock in the afternoon, we sighted a sail, and as it appeared to be coming our way, we continued on our course, and very soon we could see her hull very plainly. She continued to draw closer, so we headed for her, and as we drew close up with her, I spoke her. She proved to be the ship Gustav and Oscar from Bremen, bound to New York. 
After informing the captain of our intended voyage, I asked him what our position was. He informed us that we were about 200 miles due south from Liverpool, Nova Scotia. We requested him to report us, which he promised to do. And below, kind reader, you will find the report he gave, which was printed in a New York paper. We then parted company, receiving hearty cheers from the crew, and the ship's colours were dipped to us as a parting salute. And as we were sailing in opposite directions, it was not long before she was entirely out of sight. The report of the ship Gustav and Oscar, which was printed, as the reader will readily see, before the A.J. Chapman arrived in port. Therefore, although the Chapman spoke as first, her report was given to the world after the one below, which read as follows, which was copied exact from the papers now in my possession. The New Bedford spoken five days out. New York, June 10th. The ship Gustav and Oscar from Bremen reports that on June 7th, latitude 42 degrees 20 minutes, longitude 64 degrees 22 minutes, spoke small two-masted boat from New Bedford for London, having one man and one woman on board, undoubtedly Captain Crapo and his wife. Crapo's position when spoken was at a point nearly due south from Liverpool, Nova Scotia, and almost due east from Boston. Chatham, from whence he made his last start, is in longitude 70 degrees. Consequently, he had, up to the time he was spoken in longitude 64 degrees 22 minutes, sailed 5 degrees and 38 minutes. Falmouth, England, where Mr. Crapo intends stopping, is in about longitude 5 degrees, and the whole distance across in a straight line from Chatham is almost 65 degrees. The length of a degree of longitude in latitude 42 degrees is 51.41 miles. Consequently, the New Bedford had sailed, when spoken, a little over 290 miles from Chatham, out of the 3,300 and over which she must sail before reaching Falmouth. So, my readers can more fully understand by this report just what our situation was when spoken, and although we had been sailing along most of the time for five days when spoken, we had only covered a very small distance, comparatively. Yet, we were in good spirits and had not at this time encountered any serious weather, yet we were liable to at any time. Shortly after she disappeared, night again spread her mantle over us. The wind died down and left the sea in a dead calm, and to make things more uninviting, a thick fog set in, which made us very uncomfortable. As my readers can imagine what a cold, damp fog in the night is, especially out at sea in a small boat. About nine o'clock, we were given a surprise party, which at that time was not received with much enthusiasm, as we were put to considerable inconvenience, both in mind and body, the participants being a large school of sperm whales, which forced their company upon us uninvited. This was a bad predicament to be in, as sperm whales are very disagreeable at all times, and if one of them should by chance touch our boat, he would slash it into fragments with his flukes. They have very small eyes, and as they are quite a distance back from the end of the head, they can only see on each side of them. So my readers can just imagine one of them swimming along with his large, flat nose, bunting into our little boat, which would undoubtedly have tipped over and left us to the mercy of the whales and sea. My wife was very much frightened, and she was not to be blamed for being so, as our position was rather precarious. She asked me if there was any danger, and of course I did not want to make her any worse by telling her just what danger we were in. She wanted me to shoot them or anything to drive them away, 
and as a splash in the water or a strange noise will sometimes scare them off, I decided to try to get rid of them, as many times they came so close that the vapour they blow out, which is their breath, would blow over us and the boat like steam from the spout of a tea kettle. So I made a noise with my rudder, which soon had the desired effect. My fear was that in sounding, one of them might rise to the surface under the boat, in case of which our fate would never have been known, as we would have been thrashed to pieces in their fury. And we were both easier in mind when they had left us, and we surely did not extend to them an invitation to call again, as they had forced their company upon us for nearly seven hours, which had caused us to dislike them very much, and their continued puffing was not a pleasing sound in our ears, as there was not much music to it, their voices not being properly cultivated. We looked for their reappearance until daylight, and were pleased to be disappointed. The fog still hung heavy around us, and a light breeze sprang up from the southeast, and as the whales were not to be seen or heard, I took my usual nap. This was on June 8th. When I awoke, we had our breakfast and pulled in our drogue and squared away on our course. Everything went well considering the thick fog, which kept us busy listening for the foghorns of passing vessels. I had used mine until it was played out and practically useless, which made us more on the alert as we were in danger of being run down, as we could only use our lungs, provided we heard a vessel's warning of her approach. Early in the afternoon, it began to rain very hard. This was more than we wished for, as I was drenched to the skin, and to sit all cramped up and keep her on her course was not very pleasant at best. One does not dread a rainstorm on shore, as by bundling up and with an umbrella, they can get along very comfortably, but I could do neither, as I had to sit still and let the rain beat on my unprotected body as it pleased. I was not afraid of taking cold, as that is a very usual thing at sea, yet in years to come, it is liable to cause rheumatism. This being on the 9th of June, coupled with our trials with the whales and the first heavy rainstorm, made the date impressed very strongly on our memory. Towards night, the rain ceased, but the fog still hung on, and darkness soon settled around us. Another tedious night was upon us. June 10th was ushered in with the fog still holding on, as though it meant to watch over us at all times, and seemed to like our company far more than we wished it did. We heard the fog signals of two vessels, but could not see them on account of the thick fog that encircled us. At times, it would light up a little and then shut in as before, and we had to keep our eyes and ears on the alert at all times, as we were in the track of vessels sailing to and from the United States. Thus the day passed, and again night settled around us. June 11th opened with the fog still holding its own and a moderate breeze. The same continued through the 12th and the 13th. The morning of the 14th opened with a heavy wind from the southwest. The wind increased so much that during the afternoon I hove to and put out my drogue to steady her. The seas ran mountains high, and I soon found that my drogue was insufficient to hold the boat steady, it being too light. Oh, how I wished I had something to make a heavier one, but I did not have the necessary articles to do so, so I must make it answer in some way. We laid to until daylight on the 15th, when the wind moderated and we again started on our course. On figuring up by dead reckoning, I found we were in latitude 43 degrees 46 minutes, longitude 58 degrees 54 minutes. During the day, we were again surrounded by a school of whales, and I found it hard work to steer clear from them. Again, night spread her mantle over us, and with the fog still holding on, we passed the dreary night. In the early morning, 
I took a nap, the first sleep I had had for 24 hours. As we were having more or less heavy weather regularly, meals were out of the question, so we ate whenever we chose. This was June 16th. We sailed along until about 8 o'clock in the evening, when we hove to under our drogue and took catnaps through the night, at all times realising our danger on account of the thick fog. Yet, the night passed without accident. The next morning, about seven o'clock, the wind had moderated, so we took in our drogue and set sail for a start on our course east by south. We were now in latitude 43 degrees 40 minutes, longitude 56 degrees 25 minutes. This was on the 17th. With a fresh breeze, we sailed along. The wind was from the southwest and began to increase until, at last, I furled the mainsail, and about one in the afternoon, I had to furl the foresail and heave to with my drogue out to steady her. The wind kept increasing and the seas ran mountains high. It is impossible for me to try to picture to those unacquainted with the sea what a heavy gale is, as large ships are tossed about like chips and many times are lost with all on board. So my readers can form a little idea what a position we were in, in our little cockle shell of a boat. We rode out the gale at last. Well, that's the end of today's chapter. We're going to continue with the story tomorrow. Now, if you haven't already, consider please going over to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. You can follow the link in the podcast description. And there we have a growing community of people just like yourself who are interested in sailing, interested in seamanship and interested to learn more techniques and tips that can help their time on their boat be safer and more enjoyable. So at $5 a month, your donation directly contributes to me being able to produce the podcasts and keeps the lights on, keeps the wheels going round. But if you are interested in developing your skills further, then you may be interested to increase your contribution to the next level up, to the mate level. And there for $20 a month, you get access to the one hour professionally produced seamanship training videos that we do each month which drill down and look at specific aspects of seamanship and safety at sea, get into the nitty gritty of it and uh, share with you information that can make your time at sea both more enjoyable and safer. So if any of that sounds interesting, go along to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner or follow the link in the podcast description and become part of the community. But that's all for today. So I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you are safe and sound. And I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers.